Well, hey, everybody, it's good to be with you today. Thank you. That's great. And if you weren't watching the full service of this, please go back and watch it. Our drummer, Ray, just killed it in here on All Star. I don't know about you, but I don't have the talent to drum and sing, let alone sing whatever all those words were that we just sang. Uh, with that too. So great job to Ray. And a great way to close out a, what has been an amazing series, which has been On Your Mark, where we've been talking about uh, living a life of purpose and living into the calling that God has for us. In fact, there has been a theme verse that Jeff introduced the first week, but is one that we've kind of showed up throughout the whole series, and it's Hebrews 12.1, which says this, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And really the first four weeks have been about that last part of the verse, the race marked out for us. And so I hope throughout the last four weeks you've been able to get more clarity in what God has uniquely called you to do. And if you've missed any of the weeks, I would highly encourage you to go back and check it out because each one of those really builds on themselves and helps us get clarity on that last part. But for today, what I want to finish up the, the series with is really the first part of that verse, which is talking about running the race with perseverance, or as I sometimes have heard my parents say it, having stick to In fact, as I've grown, as I've become like turned 40, I've kind of found myself using this phrase when I say the words kids these days, like kids these days don't have any stick to and I'll often do that while I'm muttering around my house when I see the half-done Lego sets and art projects that are strewn around our house. But the reality is, it's not just kids these days that struggle with stick to we, we all do. In fact, there's a great book that if you've never read and you want to read up on perseverance and, and grit, there's a book that's called Grit by an author named Angela Duckworth. And she did a lot of research into this concept. And she had this quote as she made her observations on the research. And the quote was this, that enthusiasm is common, but endurance is rare. And I found that to be true with me. I mean, I struggle, full disclosure, with finishing a Netflix show. Like I can get about five minutes through. If you were to open up my Netflix app right now, there'd be a whole bunch of recently watched with about this much on the progress bar. And so if I find it hard, and if we find it hard to stick with a Netflix show, imagine how much more difficult it gets when it comes to sticking with some things that are more challenging. Uh, those parenting goals or marriage goals or life goals that we have in our life. That it can be really, really uh, tricky. And so I know that we all wish that we had more perseverance. Like, I haven't met a single person that doesn't want more of that in their life. Like, we all value it. We all love the stories of the person that had the never give up, you know, fight against all odds kind of attitude. We all, if you're, especially if you're a manager, we want to hire the person that has the never quit attitude in their life. And yet, if we all want it, why is it so rare? Uh, Last time I spoke, I shared about how in high school I was a cross-country distance runner. And a number of you, since I uh, shared that, were so kind to reach out. You said, hey, we should go running together. And I I feel like I might have overstated my abilities just a little bit. Uh, So I need to confess on that, that this was a, a goal of mine to get back into shape so that I wouldn't be a skinny guy with a gut. That was really the heartbeat behind it. And so in April, we're actually as a church going to be doing something called the Run for Good 5K that'll be down at the local Good Coffee Co. when it opens up. And so a stretch goal of mine is to run that and have a decent time. So if you have a running group that runs around White Rock Lake a couple of times on Saturday morning, I probably would hold you back. 
But with that, when I was back in high school, there was a famous race that anybody in the state of California where I grew up uh, ran. It was at a place called Mount San Antonio College, and it was an invitational that high schoolers from all over the state would come to run because the course was legendary. Uh, The course was a 5K, which is just a little over three miles, and each of the miles had a particular element and kind of name to it. In fact, it started off with uh, the first mile in the valley. In fact, I think we have an image of it uh, that we'll show up here in a second. In the valley was kind of a nice leisurely start. You kind of run around the lap there, and then you go up this switchback. So it's kind of a, a decent-sized hill that had a back and forth. And so by the time you got done with that first mile, you were feeling like you had accomplished something in your life. You're like, you know, I've got this. This is, you know... I've done it. This is hard, but I can do this. All that antsy race energy had kind of dissipated by that point. And that's what makes this course so evil is that about halfway through the race, right? About halfway through mile two, there's a part of the course that's called poop out hill. And I'm not even saying that's a nickname. It is on the map that we're showing you right now. In fact, if you were to go to the city of Mount San Antonio College, like where the college is, it is the official name of the hill in the city. It's called Poop Out Hill. And I tried to find a picture that would do it justice. In fact, if you Googled it right now, you would see just a bunch of tired high school runners running up kind of a dirt looking thing. And so to help you picture it a little bit more, imagine that you're running on the highest setting on an incline on a treadmill up for an entire lap. It's at that point that as a high school sophomore, you really start to question some of life's decisions, (laughs) especially when it's 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning. You're like, you know, I just don't know. Maybe I probably could have done something different with my life. Have you ever hit a poop out hill in your life? That's a funny question, I guess. (laughs) But you know what I'm talking about. You probably have never run Mount San Antonio College, uh, unless you're from California. But I'm wondering if the experience of hitting a wall is one that resonates with us. Like perhaps it's come in a relationship where you get married. and, And I've never met a couple that didn't get married where they didn't have grand plans for the way that relationship would turn out. And as you looked ahead, you're like, okay, we progress forward and we're making our way through it. And then you hit the wall as something unexpected hits. And it's like, wow, okay. Or perhaps it's with your faith. Uh, I I know a number of us, maybe you've made it a goal this year to re-engage with with Christ or with Jesus or with the church. And so as you've kind of taken steps into coming to church and engaging there that maybe a a doubt has crept in or a challenge has crept in or i've also heard this this is pretty common for people that some of us that have been journeying with jesus for a long time um, where we do a lot of activities that for a long time were working whether it was joining a group or serving or using our gifts in a way and then at some point maybe it just started not to work the same way that it had where you felt distant from god and you weren't really sure why and you felt like you hit a wall. That's actually a pretty common experience. Or maybe it has to do with uh, this series where you've tried to take a step into using your gifting in a new way. And you're like, okay, I, I feel like I have some clarity in my life of this is what God's called me to do. And so as I take some steps in and maybe I've made it up a switchback or two. And then something seems insurmountable in trying to live into your purpose. Today, what I want to spend a few moments talking about is what to do when we feel like giving up. 
And that if you are facing a wall today, my hope is, is that today would be encouraging to you. That you and I don't need to be surprised or scared when we run into a wall. In fact, it can be a big way that God does something in and through us if we're open to it. And that the people that you and I admire the most in our life, the, the people that have made an outsized impact in their community, in their family, or in their world, had to get through the wall as well in their own life. And they figured out how to position themselves to be a perseverer. You know, somebody that could actually hit the wall in stride and figure out how to push forward. And so I want to talk about how we can do that together. And the way we're going to do that is to go to a guide that we've looked at throughout this series. Uh, It's the Apostle Paul, uh, somebody that wrote much of the New Testament. And as Ryan shared a couple of weeks ago when he talked about it from 2 Corinthians, he had to persevere through a lot. He had been shipwrecked and beaten and run into obstacle after obstacle as he lived into his calling. And so he's the perfect guide to help us as we think through getting over the wall. And in this part of scripture, it's the last part of the book of Galatians, he's going to help a church that had gotten off track try to get back on track. And as a result, he's going to put on his coaching whistle a bit that will help them and I think will help us as well. So this is in Galatians 6, verse 9, and this is what it says. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So, according to Paul, what do we do do when we feel like giving up? Don't. Let's close in prayer. Yeah, I know it's not that simple. In fact, I I know that that can make it sound trite, but there's actually a lot that's packed into this verse here. So I want to take it piece by piece because I think each of these pieces will be so helpful to us as you and I think about how to persevere today. And the first thing I want you to notice with this verse is that it doesn't end with let us not become weary. If the verse ended right there, it'd almost be like Paul is saying to us, hey, just never get tired. Like, and if you're feeling tired today or you're feeling weary, it's almost like he's saying, hey, just kind of suck it up. You know, like it's just, it's just time to go. But that, that isn't what he says. In fact, in this part, he continues on. And, and the reason why he doesn't end there is that life is tiring. Can I get an amen? Life is tiring. And that, that's not a surprise to God. And it wasn't a surprise to Paul. Uh, you and I are finite beings with limitations. You do not have endless energy, which is really important to talk about when, it t- when we're talking about perseverance, because the first step of perseverance is saying, I have to prioritize the limited energy I have in order to make a maximum impact, that I have to have self-leadership if I want to persevere through what God's called me to do. Uh, back when I was in graduate school, uh, in graduate school for pastors is called seminary, which is a really weird word, but that's what they call it. When I went into seminary, uh, the first class I took and on the first day, the professor gets up in front of the class and he says, okay, at the start here, I just want you to know that you can contract for an A, a B or a C. Now, I'd never heard of the concept of contracting before, you know, all throughout grade school and college. It was, you know, you go to class and you do whatever you can and you earn the grade that you get. But as the professor explained it to me and to our class, he said, no, you can decide ahead of time which grade you want to go for. And whichever grade you decide to go for, you turn in different amounts of work. You contract for the grade that you want. 
And I remember the competitive side in me kind of flared up a bit. So I was kind of like, well, well, why wouldn't you go for, you know, the A? Like at least, I mean, I may not get it. I mean, that's, I mean, that's one thing. I get that. You know, I may not have what it takes, but at least like, why wouldn't I go for the highest grade possible? And so the professor had continued on and, and he said, he said, now some of you, he said, some of you, it would be sinful for you to not contract for an A. And I was like, that's right. You tell them. But then he continued on and he said, for others of you, it would be sinful to contract for an A. And I remember stepping aside and being like, well, what, I mean, what are you talking about? We are studying the Bible for a degree. I mean, it's like, how could that be sinful? And he said, and I'll never forget this. He looked at us and he said, some of you have young families at home. And if you are ignoring them to spend all your time in the library doing your degree that you want for an A in this class, your priorities are way out of whack. I was like, whoa. He said, others of you are pastors. I mean, again, it was a school for pastors, and some people were already pastoring at that point. And he said, some of you are pastors. You have responsibilities to other people, and, and Please don't ignore those responsibilities for a grade that will show up on a transcript and probably you'll forget about in 10 years. Persevering is all about prioritization, about figuring out how to use the limited time and energy and resources that we have for greatest impact. And if I could be honest, if we could just have a conversation, and right now it's just me and you. You're not talking to anybody else. It's just a one-way thing. But if I could ask you a question right now, because most of the time when I talk to people and I say, how are you doing? The first thing we say, and I'll say this too, is I'm tired. And so my question for you is saying, is it possible today that the reason why you're tired is that you are pooping out on the wrong hills? That the energy that I am putting into the things that I feel like I've got to do, I've got to get over this. Is it possible that that is not worth the time and energy it's taking, that it's actually pulling me away from something God wants for me to do? And in our culture, there are lots of hills that call for our attention. It could be the hill of success in your career, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But if that's the hill that we're giving our most attention to and we're feeling weary at, at the expense of other hills, we have to figure out, is that a priority that we want? could be the hill of accumulating more things or finances or it could be the hill of success or what people think. It, it's any number of hills. And that what you and I have to do, a big marker of self-leadership is saying, what are the hills that I'm going to prioritize now for maximum impact later? And if we want help on doing that, Paul is going to assist us with this. Let's go back to our verse for the day. And this is Galatians 6, 9. Again, he it's the same verse. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. He qualifies it by saying in doing good. Two aspects, I think, that Paul is trying to communicate when it comes to doing good. Uh, the, there's a first aspect that's collective. Uh, notice that the verse says, let us. Uh, let us not grow weary in doing good. That Paul is writing this collectively to a church, uh, the church of Galatia, that had gotten off track. You know, Paul had helped plant this church uh, a number of years before this letter, and then he had left. And in the time that he had left, a group of outside uh, people had come into the church and had started teaching what Paul was call, would call a false gospel. Uh, the way that he would word it is they, that basically these leaders were coming in and they were saying that if you wanted to have a right relationship with God, you needed to follow Jesus, yes, and... 
You needed to become culturally Jewish. You needed to obey the Mosaic law. You needed to act and look a certain way. And what Paul would say in this letter is that that teaching, that gospel is really no gospel at all. Because there is nothing, no work, no uh, cultural uh, norm or adhering to some custom. Nothing that you add to the work that Jesus did at the cross that makes us right before God. But with that, it not only had that church bought into a distortion of the gospel, Paul has actually said, says in the letter that that started to distract them from what God was calling them to do. It, just a chapter before our verse in Galatians 5, 7, Paul says this. He says, you all were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That basically what Paul is saying is there are some hills that are worth fighting through. In fact, there are some hills you need to fight through in order to get to where God is calling you to go. And really what he's highlighting is a danger that we face today. I mean, any group of people, any church faces this challenge. It's the danger of mission drift. That there is a collective good that God has called us to do as a local expression of Jesus' church. And that we are called to stay on that path and to stay focused on the mission of sharing the true gospel with people. That it's not about what you do. It's all about Jesus to a world. And that's a really important message for us to hear at this stage of the year. That we are about to enter into a really crazy season as a culture. Uh, election seasons just have a way of kind of driving people nuts and gets kind of divisive and everything. And, and really, churches can have a danger of becoming distracted from that mission. But on top of that, not only can we be distracted, there's also the potential for us to unintentionally distort the gospel. Like, let me contextualize this for an election, that somehow during election season, people that are on the outside can often think like being a Christian means voting a certain way or not voting a certain way or, uh, you know, having this uh, political party as our, you know, as our party or not having this political party. And just collectively as a church, we have to be crystal clear that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that nothing else is added to that. No other cultural expectation is added until that, that, until that one true message. And that you and I, with staying focused on that, are called to be the spirit-empowered community that takes that message to a broken world. So there is a collective aspect to doing good that Paul wants to make sure we get. But there's also a personal aspect to this, too. It's you and I have a role to play in our own journey. Um, right after uh, Galatians 6, 9, the next verse that uh, Paul talks about, again, continuing on doing good, he says this. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. It's almost like before we get too stressed out about trying to do good to everyone, which is a pretty intense call. Paul clarifies, he says, as we have opportunity, specifically as you have opportunity. That God has put people and problems in each of our paths. And he has empowered us with gifting. He's empowered us with his spirit to represent his love in those situations, to bear his fruit in those situations. And that each of us have a specific role that he's called us to play. And much of this series has been about trying to name that good that we're called to do. 
Uh, in fact, I, th- I think a helpful way to help get specific on what that good is is an exercise that comes from one of my favorite books. It's from The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Stephen Covey calls it the funeral exercise. Um, now, before you get too worried, I'm not going to go all death clock on you like last week. Uh, if you missed last week, that was a bit, I don't know. How many of you wound up looking up your death clock during the week? That's pretty morbid, right? I mean, it's, it's what a, it was a great message and check it out, deathclock.com. And again, Jeff will explain it from yesterday. So if you, or last week. So if you haven't seen it, check that out. But with that, the funeral exercise is a little different. It's, it's a way of picturing at the end where you would want to be or what you would want people to say. And what Stephen Covey recommends is he's like, Hey, think of a few of the people in your path. Uh, people, uh, maybe a family member or a child or a spouse or a parent. And then think of a coworker or think of a neighbor or a friend and picture them at your funeral. And what was, what words would you hope that they would say about you then? And he says, when you begin with that end in mind, it helps you have clarity of what it looks like to stay on track today. And the reason why I think that's so helpful as we live into this message and what Paul is calling us to do is that when you and I are trying to do the good that God has called you to do, that's when we run into the biggest hills. Like, it's interesting. Like, I I don't tend to run into the wall when it comes into doing something that's easy or something that's kind of off path. In fact, we don't tend to drift into the good places. We tend to drift into the, the easy places or the places of less impact. It's the times where we actually try to engage. And you probably can think of a situation in your life. You're like, hey, I I actually am trying to be a good influence or make a good impact in this situation. And that's when we hit the wall. That's when it becomes challenging. I mean, it's when you picture, hey, at the end, like I want to be a healthy person so that by the, uh, you know, I can live a long life and I can be there for my kids. That's when we hit the wall with our health goals. Or it could be financially. It's like, hey, I, I know at the end of my life, I want them to say that I'm a generous person. But trying to live financially like, you know, prudent today is where I run into the walls. Or it could be trying to love that difficult relative. That's when we hit the wall as well. That's when we run into the biggest issues is when is when we do that. It's, it's why I've learned that in a world of social media posts and talking points that love to make problems seem so simple. That the voices of people who are actually trying to engage when they're trying to do good. I find that they commonly use these two words. They say it's messy. Maybe followed by that is it's complicated. That relative that is hard to love is hard to love for a reason. That issue or initiative at your work or in your community or in your neighborhood is stuck for a reason. It's because it's complicated. And it's when it's complicated that it's pretty tempting to quit. To switch jobs to move to another city, to end the relationship, to leave a church or leave a small group. And you know what? Honestly, there may be times that we need to leave those situations, particularly when it's abusive or it's toxic. Please hear me. I'm not at all advocating that you need to simply suck it up or persevere through that. There's wisdom in sometimes saying, you know what? I have to disengage from this situation. And I've often found in those moments it's helpful to talk to somebody about that. 
But I think for most of the situations that we face in our lives, we wouldn't necessarily describe them as abusive or toxic. We probably would describe them as complicated or tiring or messy or exhausting. And that's when it is pretty tempting to hit the eject button. And I think what Paul's about to tell us is that when we do that, we are in danger of missing out on something particularly profound and even something really powerful. Let's go back to our verse. Galatians 6, 9. Again, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, the Bible often uses uh, the harvest to illustrate concepts of faith and life and growth. And Paul uses it uh, here to describe uh, a pretty interesting concept uh, and a concept of the harvest, which is about delay. That there is always a delay between when you sow, when you prepare something and then when you reap, when the actual you know seed pops into a plant it's kind of like it's not uh, what he's saying that isn't the way growth works is it's not like you you know rake the soil and do all the work and pop the seed in and water it and poof there's a plant just like you don't show up to the gym and poof there are six-pack abs it doesn't work that way i wish it worked that way but that's not the way it works it's that it takes time for there you you do something in one season in order to reap something in a later season. And just as Paul is trying to illustrate how an inexperienced gardener may give up doing the weeding and the tilling of the soil and the watering because of a slow-growing seed that has yet to pop up, he's worried that Christ followers like you and me will give up on being patient or pushing through because we haven't seen any tangible results. The, the reality is, is your life will probably not change from going to the gym one time. It probably won't change from going to one counseling session. It, it probably won't change from taking that one step to love that really hard relative in your life or engage in that situation at work. It probably won't change from one church service or one small group i mean it's possible like i suppose god could show up tear open the heavens and boom you know every, it, that's certainly possible that has not been my experience as much though and the danger is is that if we get impatient and not seeing those results we could give up but if we stick with it for one year or five years or 10 years or longer on any of those things i'm betting you'll see some actual results. And the way that Paul describes those results is he calls it a harvest, which I love that. It's not just that it's one single plant that would pop up in your life. It's actually exponential. You know, that the impact grows into something bigger than we could have imagined. And it's so cool when we've actually seen visible examples of people that have this kind of exponential impact. Like I think back to uh, different stories of mine where I've been at a workplace where somebody has worked for, you know, 20, 30 years in the same spot. Maybe they had a lot of opportunities to leave, but they kind of stuck it out. And then they finally, it's finally time to hang them up. You know, it's finally time to retire. And I think of those retirement parties where everyone kind of comes out and there's lots of tears and stories and every, and those are the people we name conference rooms after or streets or whatever it is because of the impact that that person made. Or you can think of it maybe in your neighborhood when you had that 
longtime neighbor, that, that staple in the community that everybody kind of knew they could depend on and had been there for years and years and years. And, and maybe it finally was the time where it's like, okay, the house is too big. I've got to sell it and move. Just the outpouring of people that come into that space and you see a visible display of a harvest of lives that were impacted because of someone's perseverance and faithfulness in that environment to say, okay, they're going to stick at it. But I also think maybe more profound than some of those public illustrations of a harvest are the the ones that happen inside of us. That when you and I stick with it and we have the discipline in the moment and every, you know, we faithfully are taking the steps. That those are the times that God reaps a harvest in our character that could not have been reaped otherwise. Like I love how Second Peter describes growth. And describes what God does in us as he transforms us in this journey of life. This is from Second Peter chapter 1. This is verse 3 that says, His divine power, it's God's power, has given us everything we need for a godly, not, godly life. Essentially, it's saying it's God's strength that powers growth in us. It's not, it's not us powering this life. It's God that's, that powers it in us. But we do play a role. And this is just right after he says that. He then says, but with that, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, here's our word, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this passage. Uh, It illustrates how our journey with Jesus isn't a sprint. It's a lifetime pattern of faithfulness, of taking step after step where God starts to use his strength and we depend on him more and more to produce these qualities, qualities that we all want in our life. And he starts to do that more and more and more. But none of that happens without time, without faithfulness in the moment to take step by step. And notice our word perseverance, because I think perseverance is particularly transformative, that there is something about those times that we've had to push through that are particularly life-changing. Like, for me, I, I look back on those moments with pride. I look back on Poop Out Hill with pride, which I never thought I'd say that out loud. That should be on a t-shirt. I do, and I bet you, you do too. Again, whatever those moments are right now, as you think back and look back on your life and say, okay, what are the times that I am most proud of in my life? Like, what are the times that I look back and say, this was, this was the most shaping of my character. Something that maybe I wouldn't have chosen and didn't necessarily want to have happen in the way that it did. But it was a season where I had to rely on God's strength in a way that I never had before. Or maybe it was something where I discovered something about my character that I unearthed that I didn't realize was there. Or even when we talk about our purpose, it's in those moments where maybe we, we know a little bit about what we're called to do, but then you're really in it. And when you're really in it, you're like, okay, this is actually what I'm called to do. Like my wife is a labor and delivery nurse and she didn't know when she got into nursing exactly what that would mean. She just knew that she was really smart, really into details. She could help people. But she's learned as she's journeyed through, particularly through the hard seasons, that she has a heart for dignity. 
for people, especially people that are maybe coming in from a different culture that don't speak the English the greatest and she's learned some different languages because she, she really wants when someone's in that difficult moment to be able to walk alongside them with dignity and with care. And that, the only way she discovered that was through persevering through some very, very hard nursing shifts. I think wherever those times are that you look back on with pride, help us today as we look ahead. As we look ahead to say, okay, if you are facing a wall today, perhaps what you're facing could be one of the most transformative times of your life. If we would let it, if we would reap a harvest. Perseverance plays a key role. And I think in those moments where we maybe are tempted to quit. Or maybe we're tempted to say, you know what, I, I just, I'm going to. I'm going to get out of that and, you know, switch out of that or I just don't know if it's worth it. I think what Paul would at least ask us to think about is, is that like retilling the soil right before the plant's about to sprout? I like how author John Acuff words it. Uh, He takes it, the same concept and builds on it. He says, do you know what happens when you bounce around a lot? You never build momentum. Isn't that good? How could you? When you leave the company, leave the industry, leave the city, you also leave all your relationships. You leave all the skills that needed more time to develop, the opportunities that needed more time to blossom, the connections that needed more time to deepen. And then he encourages us too. He says, stay in the game. You might not see the results quickly, but that's okay. Apple trees take years. Weeds take days. Isn't that good? My main point for today that I hope you would take away is this. Do not grow weary in doing good. For in due time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. I don't know where you're feeling weary today. I don't know where there's an insurmountable wall in your life. I don't want to simplify that at all or make it seem like it's easy or just push through. But I do know this. That the way that we make an impact is often through the persevering times. It actually is that when we feel the, when we feel the desire to jump around, that maybe there's some, maybe that's an opportunity for us to dig in. To actually say, you know what, there's something here that I'm called to do. That the good that God's called me to do, I need to, I need to stick it out. And so as we're wrestling with that today, I do want to leave you with three kind of maybe practical tips. Just to say, hey, Eric, I get all that. That sounds great. But that, that, does that, how does that help me right now? If I'm like, I want to push through, but I want to build my endurance. Let me give you a, a, just a few practical tips. Take them or leave it. Uh, the first practical tip is that whenever you're running, at least this is what I've learned when I was running, is to think in terms of splits and seasons. That sometimes uh, it, when you, a goal seems so out there, so far-reaching, so impossible, that it's actually helpful to break it down into micro-goals. Like when we were running, uh, there was uh, the way that we would do this is there were split times. So you would think of, okay, for this mile, I'm going to try to run this one. And I'm not going to think about the other miles. I'm just trying to hit this split. And then you do the next split and the next split. And as a result, you wind up getting there. And so is there, as you think of a long-term goal and maybe an opportunity that feels like it's way out there that you need to persevere, is there a way to make it more, like, micro-size it is the way I'd board that? Is there a way to say, hey, I'm just going to try to make that one phone call this week. That's all I really want to do. 
Or, you know what, I'm just going to try to save this. Or I'm just going to take this step with my faith. Whatever it is, try to put it in terms of splits and seasons. The second one is to have teammates. The book of Hebrews talks about how we are to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And people think of running as an individual sport, but research shows that that's not really the case. That you and I run further and faster when we run with other people. And that's particularly true when you're talking about if you've hit a faith wall. And I want to speak to you for just a second because I've been there. Maybe when I was talking about that where you've hit a wall where you're like, you know what? Like I just I've been doing the church thing for a while and it is not I, I don't know. It's just not working. And a lot of times when we hit that that wall, that's where we just feel like we just got to throw the whole thing out at that moment. The funny thing is, it's actually not that uncommon. There's some Christ followers that have done a lot of research on different stages of faith. The wall is a pretty key uh, experience that a lot of people uh, have gone through. And do you know what those researchers have found of what helps if you're in the wall? The biggest thing that helps is connecting with somebody who has been through the wall already. That really is the number one thing that helps with that if you're in the middle. Having teammates helps. And if we can ever help you find teammates, we would love to do that. The last thing, uh, last tip for you, is to have perspective when you're running. That you and I, as we're running this race that God has called us to, we are not running uh, to earn acceptance from God, because we never could. Uh, We are running from a place of approval. We're running from a place of love and acceptance that God has come. And when we talk about us struggling with stick-to-itiveness, God doesn't struggle with stick-to-itiveness. I love how the book of Ephesians even talks about God's love for you and for me. It says that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That is you and I, if we have taken that step and have placed our trust in him, that he is the most stick to being in the entire universe. He is with you. And so as you and I are trying to prioritize, we're trying to work our energy up and trying to stay focused on what God wants us to do, know That he is meeting you with his empowering spirit. That he will walk with you and journey with you and encourage you and energize you to do the good that he's called you to do if we open our lives up to him. And so with that, would you would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and not based on any work of our own. That you came to us and you stick with us. Not because we've earned it or deserved it, but because of you. And so, Father, as each of us are thinking through the places that you've called us to be your light, to be your good. And, Father, as we are in this space and maybe feeling weary and tired and the wall seems insurmountable, would you meet us where we're at with your empowering strength, with your encouragement, and with wisdom to know how to move forward. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.